When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents Diet Starts Tomorrow with host Aileen Drexler. I'm having a relationship with my pizza. In a world where wellness looks perfect on Instagram. Just doing my workout. Tuesday's arms and back. But feels anything but in real life. Is butter a carb? Yes. This is the podcast exploring the emotional side of well-being. I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. From people who understand the struggle. I am on the third day of my cleanse diet. Hello and welcome back to Diet Stars Tomorrow. I'm your host, Aileen, and I am very excited to introduce today's guest. Today, I am joined by Cy Wakeman, a professional drama researcher and thought leader, New York Times bestselling author, and a leadership consultant and expert. So welcome to the show, Cy. Thanks. I'm so excited to be on today's episode. Yeah. First of all, when we we're talking about guests and I heard drama researcher, I was like, we got it. We got to talk about this. What is this? And I dug in and I'm like really, really excited for our audience or listeners to hear what you talk about it because it's really interesting. And you have, you've been doing this for a really long time. I have. I have over 20 years. I've been researching how much time we waste in mostly self-manufactured drama in our lives. So yeah, about 20 years. Wow. So, okay. Before we get into the drama stuff, so you said you've been doing it for 20 years. How did you get into this? What does it mean to research drama? (laughs) It's like an accidental career, right? I just like fell into it. My background is social work and, and counseling. And I was asked to lead a project for physicians And we were looking at implementing an electronic medical record, a computer system, so they would hopefully save time. And the physicians kept saying, that's taking me longer and it's ridiculous and it's not achieving the goal. So I put observers in the room and I gave them two columns. I said, write down how much time the physicians focus on the patient and how much time they're on the keyboard. And we'll see if they're spending less time with the patients because we had a baseline. And about an hour later, they called me in, and um, I'm a researcher just by nature. And they said, Sai, we need a third column. And I'm like, no, my research is set up, (laughs) keyboard patient. They go, then you're going to miss out on something really incredible. I said, well, what would be in the third column? And they said, how much time the physician spends complaining about the keyboard or the patient? Wow. Uh And it dawned on me that there was some really great research to be done because move away from work, the average person super cool, super decent, performing, you know, handling life well. The average person spends two and a half hours a day 
in drama, like self-imposed suffering, like this is sick and wrong, arguing with reality, this isn't the way it should be, attaching meaning when there is none, like, you know, that person didn't call me back. And so obviously they don't respect people. Like it just dawned on me that all of us are looking for time, ways to save more time and to have more enjoyment in life. And two and a half hours a day, we have self-imposed places our energy goes is wasted energy for one, but it's time spent feeling miserable that you don't have to. Mm -hmm. It's really affects our quality of life because it's emotional waste. And we don't usually practice good mental processes to get rid of emotional waste and drama. So we feel like we're the victim of it when we're the manufacturer of it. Wow. So, so what happened after that day? So after that, I was working on my master's degree while I was leading in leadership. And I propose to my um, faculty members on my thesis if I could research and quantify how much drama there was at first in the workplace. And so I did and was able to take a look at what we taught people in leadership at work and if it would diffuse drama or, or, or drive drama. And most of what was being taught that leaders were taught to do actually increased drama rather than decreased it. Did that for 20 years. I've written lots of books on leadership. When the pandemic hit, most of the people I had worked with in the organizational level were really sent back to simplistic, seemingly simplistic, not easy practices on well-being. So, I mean, being sent home for some of us, the, the pandemic revealed to us our relationship with solitude and our relationship with uncertainty and what was underneath all that busyness? Like, what were we trying to keep ourselves from knowing? So I was asked to go back in my coaching to just like, how do I live in the world while feeling anxious? How do I, well, they wanted to stop their anxiety. I'm like, well, let's work on a better goal, how to live in the world when feeling anxious. And that really led me back to seeing how many of us don't understand how our mind works. We don't understand how the world works. And we want to clean up the mess of life or we want to clean up ourselves as if we're a self-help project or a mess. Mm-hmm. And either one is super backwards. It's like, how about if we just learn to live skillfully in the mess? You know, life's messy, I always say, but you can live happy. And so that's where it came full circle to like people's just everyday living and how to diffuse drama in your life, whether you're at work or home or wherever mm-hmm. you are. Okay. So I really want to talk about that, about going backwards. So you're saying that people like are in this search of bettering themselves through methods of self-help, but really it should be the other way around. And is this what your research shows? Is this sort of a solution to not living in drama? So part of it is is not necessarily the, the research or the solution as much as it is noticing what humans do that is unhelpful. Okay. So when you would like to be happier, most people go, oh, well, my circumstances need improving, so I will clean up my exterior life. And so it's like, I'll get more organized or I will, you know, limit toxic relationships. All of those are really awesome. But the reality is that the mess in life, life's always pretty messy. You can't clean up the external. So then people start to say, well, I'll work on myself. I will become more tolerant. I will become more of this. Also good, worthy work. But what I would recommend is do the internal work to forge wisdom so that when you walk into the external world, you can do it lovingly and peacefully. 
the world is the mess. And the more you can learn to walk through the mess without thinking you need fixed or it needs fixed, that really is the place of, of peacefulness and, and, and contentment and happiness. So what, like, what's a real life example of something that helps you? Because it, it seems a little bit abstract from the way that you, you sure. talk about it. So like, what's something that someone might want to go change themselves, but really it would be more helpful to learn how to live sort of in reality, as, as so, I'm assuming is where you're going. Yes. So self-reflection is a great way to diffuse drama. So our suffering often comes from the story we create about what's happening, not the reality of what's happening. Okay. So I have three favorite questions that lead self-reflection. The first question I ask myself is, what do I know for sure? And that breaks my ego's grip on reality and story. Like, what are the facts? Example, I'm driving down the highway and someone moves into my lane allowing me less room than I prefer. Okay. That's all that happened. Okay. That's it. Like, can all I noticed that. <laughs> that someone moved neutral, moved into my lane. And I was, I didn't love that they left me very little space. Okay. The ego makes that into, I cannot believe they're trying to kill me. And they're a male chauvinist pig. And they think that just because they drive a pickup and I drive a, you know, electric car that I don't deserve any respect on the road. This is the drama you're you're. That's the drama. That's the okay. story I make up and I believe. Okay. So my best advice is stop believing everything you think. Because when I believe that that person's trying to kill me, I make really bad choices. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, no, they don't. And so I speed up and make everything even more dangerous. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> when yeah. my basic premise was I like to drive safely. If I just said, oh my gosh, they're not trying to kill me. They just left me less room than I prefer. A better choice is to slow down and let them in. Now, the same commute either caused a ton of stress or not. Mm -hmm. Joy or misery, same day, my choice. And I'm not saying it's not positive thinking. It's not toxic positivity. Feel your feelings. Own your feelings. Just don't let them own you and make sure your feelings are based on reality, not story. So often when I find myself stressed, I ask the first question, what do I know for sure? Let's say I'm at the DMV and my story is the person's trying to ruin my entire life by <laughs> like, you know, telling me I have to come back tomorrow. I'm sorry. All these they, scenarios are very funny yeah. and driving based. <laughs> yeah. Or they're just the person telling me when they're open tomorrow and I can come back yeah, or right. personal relationships. Like, um, my ex-husband, I may have a story, like my ex-husband's trying to steal my children from me. Mm -hmm. It's like, or he's a dad asking for another day snowboarding. And right. like, we have to start to notice how much we add story to fact. And it's the story that adds the stress. So the first question, what do I know for sure, breaks up the ego's grip. My natural inclination, because especially if you're a people pleaser, Underneath people pleasing is you want to help. You want to be like a helpful person in the world. So the next question is like, what could I do to help? Mm -hmm. I could slow down and let the guy in. And then another question that trumps everything that I ask myself a lot is if I were great right now, what would great look like? And I define great. So let's say that you asked me at the last minute and you're inconsiderate and you're even rude. We'd all agree. And 
I'm still not going to outsource my response to my well-being. I'm just going to go, wait a minute. If I were great, I'd be giving you benefit of the doubt and compassion, not because I want you to like me, but because I've decided that I feel good when I live that way. And I will, you know, help you even if my ego is saying you're undeserving. So that's one example of everyday life. So a lot of times we want to try and fix the surroundings by getting other people to agree with us. Like you would agree, right? That guy butted in front of me. Mm -hmm. We collude, but it doesn't increase our happiness or we deny help, but that's against our true nature. Or we, you know, we keep score, which is not a, a fun way to live. So that's one kind of example of some of the tips I use in the book. And, you know, those are some of the things we teach people to live happy in the mess. If you can count every part of the mess as something in your favor, something here to evolve you, teach you, or um, to be grateful for, then you've transcended what we call that, that cycle of duality. And how do you measure like happiness? How do you measure if you've successfully become happy? Yeah. And that's, that's interesting because a lot of times when people think of happy, even when I started talking about happiness or the book, it's not a feeling like the weather and it's not something that's dependent. That's more pleasure. This is a general state of contentment that you're walking through the day with perspective and hopefulness, compassion for self and others, a sense that things are as they should be and that you're cared for and the ability to see your feelings as temporary coming and going. Um, but it really has very little to do with what you have or what you've achieved or because so many times people defer happiness. I'll be happy when I get this or I'll be happy yeah. when I am promoted. And happiness is just a way through the world where you feel embodied and connected and you're confident of being cared about and cared for. And for me, a lot of happiness is related to when I see all the invisible, invisible help in my life, mm -hmm. that I'm not here alone. Like I'm not separate. I'm part of this whole. And so the sense of belonging, of inclusion, of all of that is, is a driver for me of how I would define happiness as contentment. How do you think that other people who might live more in drama describe their happiness or whether or not they are or not happy? That's such a great question. I think people who live a lot in drama are seeing the world through ego. And so their happiness is if the world is as I prefer, if people are doing as I want, if I'm properly being appreciated and acknowledged. You're and, the center of the world. Yeah. Of. If I'm the center of the world, okay. that's what ego wants. Ego wants external identification and external reward. True happiness is beyond ego into a sense that I am connected to the world, not that I'm the center of the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. 
No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Just to go back to drama and like living in drama, for someone who's listening and this is like the first time they've sort of thought about their own actions or this is the first time I'm thinking about my own actions. Sometimes it's fun to complain, but maybe it has its drawbacks. What signs or like specific things? I know you mentioned scorekeeping and things like that. What are other signs in your day, whether it's work or in your relationship that might make you think twice about how much drama is actually in your life? Sure. So in my research, I actually looked at the five kind of sources of drama and I'll get to a couple other tales um, well. So about 32% of all drama comes from what we call ego. And it's our story, but you'll know you're an ego when you're judging, tattling, scorekeeping, venting. Venting feels great. People think venting <laughs> is helpful, but venting is a behavior just like worrying is. Anxiety or anxious is a feeling or fear, but worrying is a behavior and venting's a behavior. And venting begets more venting and it doesn't problem solve and it doesn't uplift us. It feels good in the beginning, but over time it becomes almost a habit. And so when you look at the signs that you're in drama, you do a lot of storytelling, meaning outwardly, it can become a shtick, like, oh my gosh, I have to tell you about my day. When you're not in drama, you're pretty internally um, centered. Your speech is pretty clear and consistent. It doesn't have a lot of adjectives or adverbs. And you are connecting with people based on, I want to know you and support you and I use my energy to focus on what we could create and how we could. If you're in drama, you focus your energy on why we shouldn't have to and why we can't and like limited mm-hmm. um, Limit possibility thinking. and yeah. blame. But can't someone actually like do something that does piss you off? Whether or not that is a story in your head, can't that also be true? Yes. There are many feelings that are just visceral or when someone pisses you off, it usually has some great information. Like instead uh-huh. of just being pissed, inventing helps you hold on to being pissed. Mm-hmm. Like I was pissed this afternoon and I want to tell you again and relive being pissed. <laughs> Sometimes right? that's fun. <laughs> yeah, it is because it's like a brain cocktail, right? Uh-huh. What I'd rather people do is embody and truly feel the feeling. And have that feeling let you know what information it has. Like when I feel anger, I want to feel it fully. But when I'm venting, I'm not feeling, I'm intellectualizing it. So Mm -hmm. we do a lot of intellectualizing our feelings. Like a cat video comes up. It's hilarious. We never laugh out loud. We Mm -hmm. think LOL and forward it on, right? Right. We intellectualize our feelings. The ego keeps us externally focused. If you have a feeling like anger, sit with it till it tells you its name. And that can be days. Doesn't mean you don't talk about it. Doesn't mean it just means that you make a commitment to say, what is the name of this? My anger often tells me what a non-negotiable is for me. 
tells me where I didn't advocate mm-hmm. for myself, tells me when I abandoned myself in order not to be abandoned by another. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes it tells me maybe not non-negotiable, but what's the limit? You're saying that like you're taking accountability of this circumstance and that like yeah. this person made me or this, what this person did made me mad. But really, maybe I'm mad at myself because I didn't a stand up for myself, or maybe they exactly. crossed a boundary that I didn't identify, or I let them. Yeah, and then it, and you learn something about yourself. You do it without blaming. Like, oh my gosh, this is another time where I didn't set a limit. They asked if I could do one more stop on the way home, and I said yes when I meant no. Sometimes anger tells me about a desire that I haven't expressed, and I'm just mad when people don't read my mind. Or like a preference. Where do you want to eat tonight? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Where do you want to eat tonight? Yeah. Um, sometimes anger is, shows me how violent I am with myself. Like I intend to move more and then I don't for a week because I'm feeling kind of like not like moving. And my anger can show me like somebody else's voice who still lives in my head, you know, like a parent or a, a coach or Like anger to me is fascinating because anger says, look here and learn about who you really are. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we don't take that invitation. We just vent about it to somebody else. We go, I'm going to skip this chapter of my life and I'm sure to repeat it, but I just want you to hear about it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's like noticing that something is making you feel extreme emotion, not really processing why you're feeling that emotion, but instead just kind of having like telling someone else about what happened. So it's again, has nothing to do with you and more about that other, the instance. Yes. And anger leads us a lot of times to reject part of ourself or others. You've got it exactly. And it's like, everything is in your favor, even, you know, a scolding part of you that comes in and it's like angry at yourself is trying to protect you from something And the more, instead of just rejecting that, the more we can get into that, we can accept those parts of ourselves back that says, you know, I tend to overcommit and that's not a fault of mine. Mm -hmm. When I'm overcommitting, it is a part of me trying to protect myself from rejection. And so now as an adult, I'm going to just protect myself from rejection and change my behavior. But most of us want to change our behavior, who we are without having experienced the richness of our experience. So we're changing our behavior based on faulty data. And what data is that? So data can be, because it's unexplored, it's just taken at face level. So Mm -hmm. um, I thought in order for myself to be healthy, I needed, I had faulty data. I thought I wouldn't get out of bed unless I had violent like training schedules. And I signed up for huge things like marathons. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, like forewent tons of pleasurable things like, you know, really like good wine and good food. And I, I had faulty data. I thought the way to stay in shape was um, that I had to be very disciplined and very violent. As I really got away from that and just sat with like some of my feelings and some of my boundaries I set and some of the things I'd rather do, I found out I could trust myself. I don't need a a horrible schedule to get up and work out. I just need to um, trust myself that when I wake up, I have things I prefer to do. And then nine times out of 10, my body leads me out to a nature path to do some hiking Mm -hmm. with no force involved. Right. And you enjoy that. Right. And we're conditioned, you know, magazines and, 
you know, other people who have violent approaches to well-being were conditioned that if you just don't eat for these 12 hours, you too can have this. Um, Mm -hmm. But for me, it's like my body never agreed with not eating for 12 hours, like ever. Right. Like with the intermittent fasting you're talking about. Yeah. And for some people, their body agrees with that. I'm not here to say what's right or wrong. I'm here to say, ask you. I think it was Guter said, when you can trust yourself, you will learn how to live. Mm -hmm. You will know how to live. And so many of us are based on faulty data. It didn't come from us. It Mm -hmm. came from our attempts at like pleasing the world. We're trying to live on faulty data. And that's what I mean by that. It's conditioning, not um, truth that you know. Does drama impact men and women differently? So when I was an early researcher, it was very convenient to divide people into men and women. Mm -hmm. And by gender, and, and maybe it was like gender assigned at birth. Now we know some of that research has gotten a little, uh, you know, because there's such a wonderful spectrum of gender identification. It's a little bit of a false category to divide men and women. We're more complex yeah, than for that. Sure. I would tell you, though, if you want to know some trends for people who are conditioned as kind of traditional women and traditional men, that we all have the same amount of drama. Women tend to go external with their drama because we like to connect to feel okay again. So we like to, like when they do experiments of little boys and little girls, when little girls talk, they try and find connection. They turn towards each other and they're like, my babysitter has glasses. Oh my gosh, my babysitter has glasses. They try and find ways to come together. Little boys try to one-up each other. I hit a ball um, to the post. Well, I hit a ball past the post. Well, I hit a ball to the moon once. And we Mm -hmm. see that behavior. So what men tend to do with drama is they go internal and make their world smaller. They write people off. They're like, that person's Mm -hmm. out of the circle. They're dead to us. Women tend to be very expressive about the drama. And so their drama is a little um, different in the way it's expressed, but the key sources are kind of the same. Mm -hmm. Drama is typically like you think about gossiping. That's a big one. So that's part of being dramatic. I would assume that women gossip a little bit more. That's part of the like mean girls and all the whole like culture of women gossiping, like gossip girl. Like there's just a lot. There's (laughs) some socialization that goes into that too. You know, that drama is definitely gossiping and venting or Mm -hmm. to me, those are kind of the same are part of that. And so when some people say, well, I'm going to, um, you know, ditch the drama, I'm going to lessen my drama. They sometimes worry like they have to become robots or they have to like, you know, have nothing to talk about. But what happens is really fulfilling connection starts to happen that is cool to talk about. I had, you know, an experience of that, like once the drama has gone, what happens is really cool innovation and connection and true support of one another. I went to a workshop and they sent us out to dinner and they said, only speak in facts, no judgment, no story. This is so hard to do it. No opinion, no opinion. So we sit down to dinner and like somebody walked by whose boots obviously did not go with the jacket that she was wearing. And it almost (laughs) killed me to be like, now why would I do that? Well, it shows that I have mastered fashion and others haven't like that's all ego. Mm-hmm. somebody said, how's the chicken? And they're like, you know, or how's your dinner? It's amazing. And it's like, even that it was like, 
there's a girl with navy shoes on. There's um, I'm eating chicken. Like technically I'm not eating right now. I'm talking like as we started to just have it where there could be no judgment, no gossip, the table got super quiet. Nobody yeah. knew what to talk about. And then people were like, what's the hope and dream that you have? Cause we can talk about that. And somebody mm -hmm. said, well, I actually had a car accident in sub-Saharan Africa and I was without water for like three days. And so I have this um, dream that I want, I'm retiring next week and I want to work on water for that area. And when he said that, something weird happened with everybody else. Everybody jumped in to help. They're like, oh my gosh, I know a guy who runs a foundation. They're based in Egypt. Let me introduce you. And what happens with the energy is we started to work on creating better workplaces and workplaces and people got down to their purpose and what they're here from. And every natural inclination was, how can I help? Mm -hmm. And the dinner conversation became rich and fascinating. A way we stay safe with one another is gossip and, but we leave feeling disconnected and unfulfilled in their lives. If you skip that and you connect on a different level, I still call my girlfriends and say, I had kind of a tough day. I didn't navigate well. And they still listen to me. But I talk about heartbreak or sadness or concern or worry. And they say, Sai, I remember that you've been through hard things and you can do it again. They don't sugarcoat it. It's not positive. They go, I have confidence in you. And if there's one thing I could do for you right now, what would it be? Mm -hmm. And it just changes the way we connect together where gossiping feels like a way to connect, but it's actually a way to keep us anxious and apart. And a way to make us just not be vulnerable. It's like, right. so you, you don't have to actually share anything about yourself and you're worried about what that person thinks of you. Yeah. And, and no one goes home after a night of gossip and lays in bed and go and says, I feel so good about myself. I really felt like my highest self showed up tonight at dinner. Said no I one do ever. have to say, though, sometimes it's fun <laughs> to gossip. But as long it as is. the rest of the conversation, you can like get deep with a friend like you can. Yeah. Talk, I feel like I have a good time and I don't you please tell me like you can call me out here. I meet up with a friend that I haven't spoken to personally in a while, whatever. Maybe we'll talk about work, but for real. And maybe we'll share about things that have happened that oh, this person annoyed me. And I guess I can't believe this thing is happening. But then eventually you'll get down to like more, more, more vulnerable topics and talk about like, like you said, hopes and dreams. How's what's going on in each other's relationships and more substantive conversation. But are you saying that, you know, the pregame to that conversation is always not helpful? You know, what I would say is it's progress and I don't want to judge it because I love where it ends up. Right. I will say that the more you practice, um, you know, the things I talk about on how to live happy in a messy world, the more sad or the less satisfaction you'll get out of that. And mm -hmm. you'll just like um, skip it because a lot of times when um, there's one thing to catch up and it's like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you forever. Where are you living now? And did you hear that Janice and you know, such and such got married and, and here's the update on people we know is different than gossip. Gossip is, can you believe somebody actually married Janice? Like, seriously, are we okay. like, is that crazy? Like so really some judgy. Of it is, yeah. Some of it's, it's catching up and that's not bad. But what I find with, um, 
the gossip is that in the venting is that once you do the work of what do I know for sure or what really happened, is it true? You realize how much of the gossip is just your story that you made up that isn't true. So mm. it's kind of like if if you're um, naturally motivated to eat, you know, what we call more clean and then you have that big juicy burger. It's like, awesome. That was that was just fine. And you may notice afterwards you feel a little like, oh, I don't love the feeling afterwards. It was really good during the moment. You start to see it differently. And so if I have to have the burger, you're like, I may choose to have a burger that looks really good. And I fully know the consequences of it. It's more about being aware and waking up. I'll give you an example with one of my dear friends. I called her, well, I'll tell the, the quick story. I um, checked um, in for my flight at, in, in one evening and handed them my bag and I flew to a really big event. And it was a nonstop flight and I get there and I don't have my suitcase. And it's like midnight and I have to be on stage at eight and it's not like, you know, there are stores open. I have no clothes. I have the pajamas that I wear flying. They're really pajamas from Target. And um, I get on stage and I did my keynote, super big client. Everybody's dressed in like Armani and I'm in Target PJs. And I call, I get through it. It goes, okay. I call my girlfriend up. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's absolutely ridiculous. What happened to me? I hate Southwest. They, they lost my bags. It's a nonstop flight. No wonder bags fly free. Cause they never arrived. Like I was just going after it. And I'm like, I, it was just horrible. And I had to present in my pajamas. And I was a really big client. And they're probably not going to call me back. And I was just like whining. And mm -hmm. she's like, I love you. And I just have one question for you. Sai, what really happened? And I'm like, oh, I chose to stay with my kids late. I didn't put a dress in my carry-on. I chose not to. Mm -hmm. I chose to check in late, even when they put the late bag tag on my bag and told me you might not see your bag again. I used hope as my strategy. And it seems like the accumulation of my choices had me presenting in my pajamas today. <laughs> this isn't self-blame, but if I can't own it, I can't see it. I wanted her to give me pity or empathy by telling her a story. And instead she's such a good friend. She goes, what if I would just give you empathy and care without you having to make up the big story? And what if you could just call me up and say, I made some really bad choices last night and it ended up me in my pajamas. And I just really need somebody to like, just like feel bummed with me for a while. And she's like, mm -hmm. That's that would save us 30 minutes. I love that. And that's really where I want people to know the freedom of. I know the freedom of that. And there are still times mm -hmm. I got my girlfriends. There's still times I gossip. I just usually feel like I have to call and apologize when I gossip. And I never have to call and apologize when I say I've had a day where I brought it upon myself and my own choices really sucked. And mm -hmm. will you help me begin again? Yeah. I think that you could reframe a lot of your conversations when you think okay. from that perspective. And as hard as you are on other people, yeah, that is as hard as you are on yourself. And so until you soften up about other people, you cannot mm -hmm. soften up on yourself. Right. 
Warmer weather is finally back. After so many cold months, it's nice to get outside and soak up the sun. But the springtime always brings those unwanted guests, pollen and seasonal allergies. April showers bring spring flowers and sniffly noses and stuffed up sinuses. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. I suffer from seasonal allergies. I just had them hit the other day. I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. And I popped a Claritin and it was like night and day. I'm a huge fan of Claritin. I use it on the regular and it always helps when we're making that transition from winter to spring, which is when my allergies flare up. Mainly it's my sinuses that get so clogged and the Claritin just clears it right up. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy throat and nose, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live your life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And They're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life, so it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. So I saw, I think, a video of you talking about this, the toggle up and toggle down approach. Can you talk about that? Sure. Uh, When I first start working with people, I find that most of us don't know how our mind works. And so we believe everything we think as if it's truth. And when I try and help people understand how their mind works, I have them imagine that they have a toggle switch on the middle of their forehead, an invisible one. And by toggle switch, I mean, like it only is down or up. It's not fancy. It's not a dimmer switch. The reason I have them imagine this is because the way your mind works is a bit binary, like a toggle switch. When you're toggled down, you're seeing the world, if you can imagine, through what I call the lens of ego. And that lens of ego sees insult where there isn't any, sees you as the victim, other people as the villain. Um, It's the part that sees someone move 
their car in front of you and it adds the story that they're trying to kill you. It really makes reality harsher than it ever is. So when you're toggled down, you're seeing um, a world that is distorted. It's like you're wearing prescription glasses that are the wrong prescription. And so you're just not seeing reality for what it is. You're seeing a distorted view of reality. And that's where I say you get bad information. Mm-hmm. And when you're toggled down and you're the victim, things are usually hopeless. Um, it will never work out in the future. You're into extremes, catastrophic thinking. For all of you that uh, practice CBT, it's like, and DBT, it's all those limiting beliefs. That's what you're in toggled down. It's called ego. You're using the most primitive part of your brain which has limited options, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Now, a lot of times we toggle down because we have a a trauma trigger, right? That's a whole different process of getting to know. But a lot of times we toggle down, we believe our situation because we don't know how our mind works. And then to feel better when you're toggled down, you don't see any place you can have impact because you're the victim. You're like, I need to feel better. So I'm going to vent or I'm going to, you know, gossip or um, disengage or, you know, sabotage. When you're toggled up, you're using all of your intelligence, your in-brain coherence. And when you're toggled up, you have the ability to see a lot of options where you could plug and play. And our natural instinct is we want to have agency. We want to be able to plug and play and help. And when you're toggled up, you can see a lot of options And then you follow that natural instinct and they may be tiny little portals, but you are naturally when you're toggled up collaborative and creative and um, accountable and innovative. It's your natural state. Once the drama has gone, we don't have to teach you to be that when you're in the zone, when you're toggled up, when you're in full brain coherence, you are that. And so how do you get from what I call low self to high self? The simple act of self-reflection moves you from low self to high self because you can't like vent and help at the same time. You can't, um, you know, you you can't see yourself as a victim and um, be self-reflective as what's your part in this at the same time. And so I call it the toggle switch because every situation I walk into that I see myself as a victim and there's nothing I can do, I've just outsourced my well-being. And if I can toggle up through self-reflection, like, what do I know for sure? What can I do to help? What would great look like? Then I start to see places I can still plug and play. And I'm able to feel good about um, my contribution to the world. I'm able to, if nothing else, walk more peacefully through the world and not add to the chaos. Sometimes that's all you can do is I'm just not going to add to, I'm not going to pile on this. And so I teach people how their mind works so that they can quit getting played by their ego. If they have a thought, like she did that crap on purpose, go, oh, I'm toggled down. Let's question that. Can I possibly know that to be true? That frees me up to say there's a hundred reasons she could have done that. Um, I'm going to give her benefit of the doubt. Oh, look, my world's good again. And again, this isn't toxic positivity. This isn't spiritual bypassing. This is understanding how your mind works so that you're not played by your own ego. What's the difference between that and those other things? One is inquiry. The other is denial. So inquiry is I'm going to ask myself, is that true? Can I possibly know that to be true? Mm -hmm. The other is I'm going to pretend that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So you're saying this is how your mind works. And earlier you said for people to understand how their mind works and also how the world is. So what is that second half? Like what so is the, the world, world works. So a lot of times when, let's say we're asked in a situation to deliver aggressive agendas with limited resources, a lot of us toggle down and mentally quit. Like we disengage. And then we do what I call BMW drive, which is like bitching, moaning and whining about why we had <laughs> to. And then when we go to fix it, we try and fix reality. We want a different reality. And in the short term, it's hard to have a different reality. Mm-hmm. And so we can't change reality. So that gives us gas for our BMWs. And we're on this like stress cycle. And how the world works is that often you will be presented with what I call unpreferred realities. The world will come in a flavor you didn't prefer or you didn't like. And when we're faced with an unpreferred reality, what most of us do is argue with that reality, which is the argument you'll lose like 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Like and you so wish a, something was that you wish that whatever circumstance it is, you wish it wasn't. Yeah. So, and think how many relationships we stay in because it's like, well, I want you to um, uh, give me this type of love, and the person through their actions and their words consistently says no, and we're like, well, I don't think you heard me. Instead of just saying it's an unpreferred reality. reality, yeah, mm-hmm. but let's see it for what it is. The other strategy we do in the unpreferred reality is we hope for a different future. Well, like, I hope this gets better. I hope tomorrow's not like this. And we use hope as our strategy. There's this little space that is the mess that I invite you to live in, which is between an unpreferred reality, don't argue with it, and a different future, don't just hope for it. There's a space that when you get in, your choices connect you connect this unpreferred reality to a different future. And that's the place where I can have agency. Mm-hmm. So like when the pandemic first hit, which now seems like a hundred years ago, I would be on zoom in the first five minutes of the call were fascinating for me because as a researcher, a social researcher, usually we have um, people on their best behavior because they think we're watching and on zoom, everybody forgets you're watching. So I'm like, this is a heyday to observe human behavior. Beginning of the pandemic, people use the first five minutes in such wonderful ways. How are you really? Mm-hmm. And if somebody said, I'm trying to homeschool two kids, I only have one iPad, everybody jumped in. How can I help? Mm-hmm. They even did like crazy things like I'll send an iPad across the country to you. I have an yeah. extra one. Six months into the pandemic, that changed. People disassociated. They got into the first five minutes, ain't it awful? Somebody should do something. This is ridiculous. And they all were like, you know, depending on your beliefs, what camp you hated and who's causing it. And I had to step in because that disassociation is arguing with reality. And a lot of people are like, I can't wait to it. It's over. I just said, no, no, no. Our space, people, this is an unpreferred. These are unpreferred times, but there are times. They're challenging, mm-hmm. but they're ours. The next chapter they write will be about us, like we're co-authoring. And if you want the future different, then step in and make choices that connect how we um, don't prefer divisiveness and figure out ways in which to connect that to a different future. For me, that was getting really deep into my own biases and figuring out how to even desire or or work towards being an anti-racist and how to... Um, 
really curate my social media feeds so I got good information, not just information I like. Like I found a million ways for me personally to connect an unpreferred reality to a different future. Mm-hmm. And that's the place that in the mass where you have agency, you're making choices, you have alignment, you have integrity, you're feeling your feelings, you're using them for information. That's the place. It's the mass where you feel fully alive. You feel fully challenged. You screw up every day and you learn every day. You feel if you're feeling not alive right now, you're probably exhausted. What I would tell you to do is, Look at every conversation you're in, and if it's an exhausting conversation, end it and begin a completely new conversation. So basically living in the mess and like doing something about it is not using hope as a strategy, but it's just to actually make small changes towards making yourself happier or more content in that mess. So the mess is reality. The mess is reality. And um, a lot about being content in the mess is... In the beginning, getting rid of things that create discontent. You'd be mm-hmm. amazed at how much we hold on to that creates discontent. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, being able to get skillful to stay in the mess for one hot second longer without um, you know, railing against it or without feeling victimized by it mm-hmm. and just making room for all of it. So much of our work right now to be happy in the mess is unlearning, getting more comfortable with mystery rather than mastery. It's not about necessarily learning. It's letting yourself be undone. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people want to have impact, but they don't fully let the world impact them. So a lot of the work of being happy in the mess is allowing yourself to be impacted by the world as much as you hope to impact the world. It's like being allowing yourself to be affected and, and evolved by what's happening, tend to your own evolution. To process what's actually mm-hmm. happening in reality. So your book, Life's Messy, Live Happy. Absolutely. Things don't have to be perfect for you to be content. So where does the perfectionism come in? A lot of people want to like start over. That's why I love, you know, the um, name of your podcast. It's yeah. like, how many times have we done that, right? Like, yeah. Um, I didn't do it perfectly, so I'm going to begin on Monday. But since it's only Friday, I'm going to blow this thing up in a big, fun <laughs> way, right? Yeah. Um, and we've been on that that treadmill where it's like I want to restart, and I can't I can't really be happy until I'm at a certain weight, or until I'm perfect, or until I get the promotion, or until I get the recognition I deserve, or until I'm never disappointed by my friends, like. Deferring your happiness is um, a, a real problem. And for me, that looking for um, that perfect and ignoring the mess. Um, and as a counselor, I just tell people, I'm like, life's just messy. And most people were chronically shocked and disappointed by the fact that life was messy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, rather than clean up the mess, what if you just learned to live more peacefully, like in the mess? And be less affected by external stuff. And when we help them do that, they were able to wander the world more freely because the less dependent I am for my well-being on how others are acting or behaving or approving or pleased, mm-hmm. I'm not free. I'm free when I can actually walk through the world skillfully and be content in the mass. 
Well, I really love a lot of this. So then what can we expect in the book? I'm glad you brought that up because I know we've talked about some big ideas. In the book, it's not a how-to. It is a chapter on a topic, and I tell you the insight, and I tell you exactly how to practice the insight. Okay, that's awesome. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them? on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are just as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They're milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches, and honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. So this brings us to our new segment. It's called DST Moods. So we're going to be setting the mood for the week. It's something like what's a way that you can like think differently this week. So we're all kind of like doing it together. So today I asked Sai to bring a mood, sort of like an intention for the week. And going forward, we're going to be asking you guys to submit moods and then I'll be picking one. So Sai, what is something, what is the mood for this week? What is an intention that you want to set for our listeners? I want people to move out of the I know mindset and be curious and self-reflective. So I want you to walk with curiosity and self-reflection. And a way to do that, it's really simple. Notice a word that keeps popping up in front of you, in your thoughts, a word that finds you or choose a word and walk with it and just reflect and be curious about what that word has to teach you. 
My okay. word lately is enough. And so I'm walking with enough and it taught me new parents can be good enough parents. So don't have to be perfect. It taught me a lot about how to love other people. I want them to know they're enough. Find a word and just get curious and get every lesson you can from that word. Okay. Well, I know what mine is and it's going to be tired. <laughs> <laughs> so that has so much to teach you. So much to teach but you. that I need sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that. Okay. So everybody, the mood of the week is pay attention to the things you say and see if there's any patterns in the words that you are speaking. And if there is a word, send it to us, send it to at diet starts tomorrow. And we'd love to hear what comes up. Um, and I'm going to see if tired really is the word, but I have a sneaking suspicion it is with a six month old. <laughs> oh, um, <yes>. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sai. This has been an amazing conversation. So when is your book coming out? It's officially out March 29th is when it okay. ships. You can pre-order through all of your favorite bookstores, all of your online um, retailers. And in fact, um, at info.realitybasedleadership.com backslash happy, if you go there and you pre-order, it will tell you all kinds of cool things you can get. Um, if you pre-order the book, we've got like some great conversations going on. You can get great videos. There's a ton of bonus stuff you can um, help yourself to. That's awesome. Everyone go check that out. And I know you have a lot of videos on your YouTube and your website. Is, is there anywhere else people can find you? Yeah, I'm all over social on at Cy Wakeman, W-A-K-E-M-A-N. So C-Y-W-A-K-E-M-A-N. Um, so whether it's um, Insta or we still do some old school Facebook, um, but <laughs> definitely LinkedIn. It's all good. Well, thank you so much. And everybody go follow Sai and buy the book and follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow. You can follow me at Aileen. And that is it for today's episode of Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm going to be back this Thursday to answer your dear DST questions. So email them DST at Betches.com. And guys, I love all the reviews you were leaving. They're so good. I appreciate them so much. And all of you DMing me the reviews you're leaving, I am just floored. Keep doing it. I love to read your feedback when it's positive. <laughs> and we're always with you. Through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Stacey Wong, and Jorge Morales-Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Be sure to follow at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com. Betches.